is the A Jersey Broad Abroad podcast. Let's go! All right, here we are. I'm with my friend, Jason, if that really is your name. <laughs> I go by many, many aliases. <laughs> For today, it's Jason. Ladies, it's Jake. <laughs> For ladies, it's Jake. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you are also, you're not abroad abroad, but you're a dude abroad. Yeah, that's right. And pretty well-traveled. So keeping in theme with the podcast, with travel, so I read a story on Reddit. And Jason, I was in tears. I was, and I usually don't laugh so much. And I was laughing so hard and it was just perfect. And it kind of was like a flashback to before the times of like smartphones and having like everything at your fingertips and just like, I don't know, maybe it like struck a chord with me because I know what it's like to be like just down and out and like poor and as a student. And it's just so funny so i'm gonna read this to you in okay. a few minutes so um so first it's about morocco have you been to morocco i have not been to morocco no i have not either have you been close i've been uh tunisia and nigeria for work uh, for the air force both of which are oh. american appreciation weeks when i was there okay that sounds nice that was not but go ahead uh, oh, <laughs> okay <laughs> i haven't been there but i've been to gibraltar Okay. And you could pretty much see Morocco, and you could take a um, ferry across, and like for the day, and then come back in the same day, like if it's in high peak season, and it's like, pretty cheap, and kind of this is where he was, but but seriously, like Gibraltar's awesome. I've heard. Yeah, it's awesome, and it's it's UK, like it's UK owned, English owned or UK owned, and they have their own airport that like lands, and it's the only road into Gibraltar, and it lands. And they have to shut the road down, and it goes over the road. Or the road is, like, part of the runway. Hmm. It's, like, crazy to see. Wow. And then, the, of course, the Rock of Gibraltar is awesome. And there's, like, monkeys on top, and oh, there are apes, but these little tiny monkey things, they steal your food. And, and then um, they're, like, there's lots of these tunnels in, from World War II. All the soldiers were keeping, you know, the... Um, you know, their sites and keeping firm hold of Gibraltar because that's actually what Hitler wanted. He wanted that part because that has, like, the strait right there to go through, through Gibraltar. Sure. So that was, like I said, actually the war would have turned out, like, completely different if we like if we um, gave up Gibraltar. But So he's, like, in Gibraltar. So people who don't really know, like, the layout. Um, so Morocco is located in North Africa, and the coastline is both on the North Atlantic Ocean and the Mediterranean Sea. Morocco has um, Moroccan Western Sahara independence in 1973, and it borders with Algeria and the Spanish North African territories, Sakuta and Malia, if I totally got that wrong, on the Mediterranean coast in the north. It's just across the Strait of, Gibral- Strait of Gibraltar from Gibraltar. And ethnically speaking, Morocco is composed mostly of Arabs and Berbers, of mix, or a mix of the two of them. So that's a little bit about Morocco. And so this guy was, um, he posted like three years ago, but it's definitely from, oh, it's from 2006. And his name is Nippy Crisp, was his name on Reddit. And I actually, I wrote him and I asked him permission to read a story and he was like very cool about it. 
Okay. Are you ready, Jason? Let's do this. <laughs> okay. And I, I don't know. I, I hope I don't like... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maintain my coolness because, and then... So I could read it. But when I was reading it, when I was reading by myself, I had to stop in my work because I was making strange noises of like exploding laughs and I was tearing. And I was like, I have to read this later because people are like wondering in my cubicle what's happening to me. Okay. In late 2006, I was asked by my PhD advisor to attend a meeting in Southwest Germany. In the morning after the conference, I was up at 5 a.m., bleary eyed and ready to move on in extension of my European holiday. I had tacked on quite a solo trip to Spain, Morocco, and Gibraltar. This was all done on the cheap. I was a doctoral student and incredibly poor. At Munich Airport, I frittered my remaining euros on a schnitzel of dubious quality. Touching down in Madrid found me light cash and ready to stock up on some adventures. The travel guide for Spain mentioned that ATMs were both plentiful and accepting of overseas plastic. As such, I had not taken the liberty of arming myself with cumbersome traveler's checks. Indeed, relying on reserve of hard cash seemed silly, as I noted innumerable ATMs on the other side of Spain's sleepy version of customer, customs and immigration. I stopped at the first kiosk featuring the, language, the English language, inserted my card and punched my code, and requested for 100 euros. The machine whirled for an uncomfortably long time. La tarjeta... Disimuno appeared on the screen, which my high school level Spanish eventually translated into either unlucky card or more likely declined. The first warning bell went off when I may have had a problem, but thinking optimistically, I was certain possible that this failure was a product of attempting to use an American cash card in a European ATM. I moved down the line at this time, selecting an ATM maintained by Deutsche Bank. Which, I com- which a company that also operated in the U.S. To further, my he- to further hedge my bet, I decreased the amount and requested a mere 40 euros. After a brief pause, the machine whirled to life and yielded a fistful of tender with an eventful series of clicks. Little did I know that I had just cleaned out my entire bank account. Several weeks before, a minor administrative change at work had placed my continued co- compensation in the hands of a poorly university bureaucrat who had not only failed to push paper but lied to me by assuring to me that everything was well on the eve of my departure. The net result of this negligence to me was not so blissful. Ignorance, not so blissful ignorance that sorely needed a paycheck would not be forthcoming. Oddly enough, learning that I was broke at the point would be Oddly enough, learning that I was broke at the point would be have been helpful, as I would have been forewarned and could have simply just headed home early. Instead, unaware, I was essentially a cashless bum. I pocketed the bills and went on my way. I had already booked my accommodations in Madrid. I floated around a few, for a few days, playing the comfortable role of the frugal for- tourist. This preserved my thin stack of bills to me to last just long enough for a planned junket into Morocco. Rather than fly, I opted to take the train to the southern Spanish city of Malaga, followed by a ferry across the Mediterranean into the Tangiers. Tangiers. There may be parts of Morocco that are nice, but the port city of Tangiers wasn't one of them. The overwhelming impression of the decrepit city is one of poverty and desperation. Finding a hotel, I hammered out a deal for a room at the pricey sum of $6 a night. Still unaware, this, of this expenditure represented 30% of my remaining capital. I still judged the establishment overpriced when I discovered that the room lacked entirely both towels and toilet paper. 
I learned of these shortcomings separately, each of the worst time possible. While discussing my remedies in great detail would be inappropriate. If you find yourself staying on the fourth floor of Hotel Muhammad anytime anytime soon, stay away from the curtains. Later that day, attempting to capitalize on what economists call consumer price index differential, I decided it would be a great idea to get the best Moroccan haircut that 50 cents could buy. Thus begins the great tragedy of the trip. There's really not a huge difference in the appearance of Moroccan barbershop from American one. The main thing to watch out for was the overflowing ashtray built into the arm of each barber chair. The barber, who looked like a cross between Gollum and the soup Nazi from Seinfeld, threw a smoky apron over me and leaned behind my ear in surprisingly good English asked, Something special, my friend? How about a fade? I requested, thinking of a previous accidental encounter in an all-black barbershop. No, no, the barber replied, leaning in and tipping me a Bob's Your Uncle wink into the dinghy mirror. I mean, something special for you. Come again, I asked, now genuinely confused. Haircut, I simplified, making scissors with my fingers. No, no, hashish, said the barber. A wicked grin spread across his face. You want some, friend? Uh, no thanks. I'm good. I managed. The offhanded dismissal was apparently insufficient and seemed to offend the proprietor, who took my refusal as to enter his negotiations. You can't be serious, he said. This is the finest Moroccan hashish. It's the highest quality. King smoked this. Forty dirhams per decram. I don't think so, I stammered. I'm going to pass this time. Fine, 35. Anything less, you are spitting on the product of my generosity. How about just the haircut? How's that feel? I asked. Rapidly losing hope, this would end, rapidly losing hope that this would end well. You drive a hard bargain, my friend, said the barber with the earnest chuckle. 30 dirhams, and I throw in the haircut for free. <laughs> While possibly being the first human to ever be offered drugs and a haircut as part of a package deal was flattering, the brazenness of the proprietor was becoming most unsettling. After all, American drug deals are conducted at much lower volume, at least on television. This, ca- this cautious was, eventually, not the Moroccan way, but, but none of the other men in the shop so much glanced up as, as the volume of the hemp-dealing barber in- increased. It occurred to me that the armrest ashtrays I had noticed earlier were probably not filled with simple cigarette butts. The barber, meanwhile, I had decided, needed some visual convincing. He reached into his smock and pulled out a gallon, a Ziploc bag, a completely full product. This was the final nudge I needed to mash the panic button. I decided to get out of the shop to be followed immediately by a city, country, and continent. Thank you. I think we're done here, I babbled, hurling a few coins at the barber as I threw off my apron and dashed out the door onto the street. I was speed walking away when the door to the barbershop flew open, and my would-be hairdresser emerged, still holding the gigantic bag of pot in one hand and his barber shears in the other. Standing in the middle of this crowded street, he planted his feet and made his final appeal. Sir, please, come back. Highest quality, he cried, holding the bag of pot aloft. Highest quality, he repeated, holding his scissors aloft alongside the drugs like the gold medal of the specially stoned Olympics. I sort of wandered the streets in a feud, 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 as a feudage, after that, asking myself, what the hell just happened? I was so disturbed I forgot to eat dinner. Where would I have discovered that I had thrown slightly more money at the barber than I would have liked? My reserves of my money were now incredibly low, and it would need to be topped off before boarding my ferry to head back to relatively safe the safety of Europe. Around 11 p.m., I returned to my hotel. I found the desk clerk and manager asleep on the couches in the lobby. 
not just taking a nap. The couches were made into beds. By my estimation, living in the lobby made them relatively lucky. I've seen plenty of people who were camped out in makeshift shelters on sweltering streets. I was up with the rising sun, eager to escape the little slice of hell on earth. The morning call to prayer sounded, and I made my way to the harbor on the streets that almost instantly become deserted. At the harbor terminal, I found a bake of ATMs, which one I gladly fed into my card into. Rather than meeting my request with torrent of money that would take me away from this godforsaken country, the ATM flashed a puzzling error message. Undeterred in the wake of my previous experience, I sought out another trusty Deutsche Bank ATM. This time through the machine, received my request similarly and held my card for almost 60 seconds before relinquishing it into my now sweaty grip. The fears from my first day of vacation came rushing back as it came clear that no cash was forthcoming. I was alone, with means no, without means to travel, and proceeding completely without an itinerary through this moderately Islamic country. My first in- instinct was to call for help. Unfortunately, my trip has occurred at a horrible time. My father, along with my stepmother, my aunt, my paternal grandparents, were on a holiday together in France, effectively incommunicado. The cruel irony of my mother was that she was also abroad with my grandmother, leaving precious few family members stateside to answer their phones. My friends were all poor students that could hardly support themselves. I had so little money that I dared not to fritter my small remaining supply of cash, potentially meaningless international calls. Asking my countrymen for assistance was also out. According to my ancient guidebook, the nearest U.S. embassy was in Rabat, 60 miles away, and beyond means to reach public transit. A plethora of small fears cropped up on my heels of more immediate concerns. What if there was a tariff to get back in Spain? Assuming I was able to make it back into the mainland Europe, how would I get back to Madrid, make my connecting flight to Germany and back home? With no cash, depleted bank accounts, and absentee family and friends, that's all we're left was emergency credit card. The lifeline for anyone who finds himself in a pinch in a distant land. The MasterCard tucked into my wallet was my failsafe. While navigating a third-world country with a credit card could be convenient or pricey, no flophouse hotels take plastic. In theory, all I had was to cruise home on the power of plastic and then worry about picking up the pieces from the safety of home. In second, I was digging through my wallet, looking for little pieces of the never-used polymer that would get me out of this jam. There it was, tucked into folds of a seldom-used pocket on the the activation sticker was still on it. Fully intending to, to... break the card's virginity, I had to make it halfway to the ticket window before the little voice inside my head managed to clear his throat. Hey, Noah, the voice said, let's think about this for a minute, eh? A brand new, never been used credit card, and you're planning to use heavily for the next several days, right? I think that'll go over nice and smooth, the credit card company. Think fraud department might notice a never used card registered to a man in Florida, suddenly racking up tons of charges in North Africa. They might, you know, do something like cancel it on the spot. Both the person in front of me and the one behind me looked at me alarmed when the six-foot-five man standing, standing next to them suddenly said, Fuck it. Fuck it all. I'm screwed, and stormed out of the line. In the end, there were two options. Sell my possessions on a blanket or try to buy everything I would need to get home on one big purchase before the credit card companies could cancel my card. What followed was a rather pathetic third-world shopping spree. An internet cafe quickly purchased a ferry ticket to Magla, a train ticket onward to Madrid. Still cursing at the slow dial-up connection, I raced to the door to the grocery store where I piled a variety of strange foods on the counter. 
all while praying that my card would still function. For the first time, the whole trip, luck was on my side. I left with a small sack of identified foodstuffs. I finally tried to get cash off my credit card, but it was denied, presumably because the credit card company has shut me down. This left me, this left me with the essentials, but only $4.50 in U.S. dollars for the next six days. On the ferry to Morocco, I, re- I receded from the view with a rumbling stomach, reminding me that I hadn't eaten the better part of the day. Like an otter cracking into a clam, I dug into my stores with a reckless abandon, starting with an enticing-looking package of chocolate-covered raisins. These turned out to be some sort of inedible coffee bean, judged from the smell and the tooth I nearly cracked, attempting to hand- munch a handful. Without the calorie-rich candy... My stores were stretched, even thinner through the remaining six days of my quote-unquote vacation. Back in Madrid, what does one do when it has, no t- has time but no money? The answer would seem as live life as a bum. I roamed the streets, growing, in a, growing a spotty teenager-level beard. I hope made me look just dangerous and or crazy enough not to be trifled with. Does that work? <laughs> Three days from my departure... My supply of food ran out. I seriously considered trying to find a Spanish soup kitchen, but I was hampered by a lack of knowledge of the native language. I had pieced together how to say, I am poverty, yo so pobreza, and my mouth needs a sandwich. Mi boca necesita un bocadillo. But I could not put two together adequately to express my plight into the locals. I was hungry. In order to kill time, I'd taken a journal. Here's my entry two days before I left. Day 15, <laughs> in Bueno Retiro Park, I saw a businessman throwing away half a sandwich. Without even realizing it, I walked over to the bin. The sandwich was sitting on top of a newspaper. It looked good, turkey, lettuce, maybe spicy mustard. Before I could think about it, a bum came along and plucked it out and ate it right there. My God, if he, if he hadn't come, I would have eaten that sandwich. What have I become? <laughs> <laughs> And so I fasted. I grew thin as a bear navigating a length, lengthy winter. My, peck, my pecs withered away, and my ass faded to the prototypical pancake shape academic to white men everywhere. The greatest indignity of the money may have occurred on the final day of my quote-unquote vacation. When I, didn't, when I realized I did not have enough money for a bus fare to take me back to the airport, I pondered, why do bad things happen to good people as I force marched myself 10 miles from the city center to the airport? (laughs) Have you ever tried walking to an international airport? They're simply not accessible by foot. My route into Bahara's international airport took me through some places I reckon few commercial flyers ever see, including a maintenance hangar and a tour of the southernmost landing strip on a luggage vehicle driven by a sympathetic airline worker. Are planes using this runway? I asked the driver as the 747 took off, perhaps 80 yards away. Little bit, he replied. The flight from Madrid to Munich went off without incident, but on the long transatlantic flight home, I started to lose it when the meal cart began to make its way down the aisle. My neighbor was a 50-something businessman. After takeoff, he had fallen asleep after s- several stout drinks and a small handful of unidentified pills. When the flight attendant came by, I ordered the chicken for myself and the fish for my napping uncle. After woofing down both meals, I was congratulating myself on this minor scam. When my neighbor woke up to find an empty meal tray that he'd been picked over, through, particularly through a, by a scavenger, confused, he looked questioningly to his neighbor on the, on the aisle and the window seats still blinking the after-effects of sleep, alcohol, and drugs from his eyes. 
Was it good? I asked him, not giving a crap at this point. I hit rock bottom a long time ago. <laughs> huh? He said thickly. Your fish, was it good? I pointed to his tray, which I had emptied so thoroughly it appeared as though it never contained food. Even the salt and pepper packets were empty, drained to compensate for my deficiency in electrolytes and spice. I don't know, he replied. My neighbor on the other side snickered, a sure emission of guilt that earned irritated stare from the victim, who then ordered another drink and dozed off for good. Smelling the shame, the smelling of shame in diesel, I arrived home, exhausted and fueled by a brightly burning core of rage towards the university administrator who left me stranded, hungry, and without a paycheck on one of the nastiest hellholes on earth. The fires of discontent were only stoked further when I found a letter from MasterCard awaiting at me in my mailbox. It was postmarked two days after I used my credit card. There it is, I thought. They have canceled the card, and they're just letting me know. And why you shouldn't... And why shouldn't they? If they didn't, you would have to conclude the entire financial system is completely and utterly incompetent, right? I tore into the envelope with mixed feelings. The frustration of jumping through the hoops, getting a new card, was buoyed by the knowledge that the system was looking out for my best interest. The letter, however, managed to dash both my assumptions. Dear Mr. Nippy Crisp, that's his name, we at MasterCard value your continued business. Due to your recent increase in card activity, we have decided to raise your credit limit 20% more than the pre-crisis ceiling. If you have any questions, please let us know. Once again, let us thank you for being a valued customer. Sincerely, the MasterCard support team. My card was never canceled. It was good the whole time, just not accepted by some random Arabic card reader. My starvation, my bum lifestyle, all of it was for naught. I read the letter twice, thinking about all the food I could have eaten, the bed I could have slept in, and the cabs I could have taken. While, while I should have grown madder, the letter had the opposite effect. The core rage that had swelled within me collapsed upon itself. For the first time in days, I felt peace and tranquility. After all, two weeks of the trip may have turned disastrous, but from the experience I gained a valuable lesson in Zen. If you're going to slip through so many cracks, it's impossible to be swol swollen with anger. The end. The end. That's quite a story. It's a good story. And I was reading it. It was so, so good, so funny. And the, my mouth needs a sandwich is like the best line ever. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? My, how do you say that? So, so. my boca needs a bocadillo. So that was a very good story. Awesome. And I think, like I said, I don't think you could do that now. I don't think that could happen this day and age. I mean, 2006, you re not everybody had the accessibility of Wi-Fi everywhere and your accounts and everything, you know? So it's like this is something I don't know would happen really. Maybe some places in the world still. But I think now you'd be. I've never experienced anything quite like that. No? No. Um no. So, well, at least he made it home. I didn't quite understand. So he couldn't use his credit card. He just relied upon one decline or one issuance. Yeah, it got declined. So he figured it was turned off. Turned off. And he didn't bother using it. He didn't try it again because he assumed like, oh, yeah, there it is. It's done. But it actually, it was just that reader. Mm -hmm. And his card was working. Poor SOB. <laughs> I once did a weekend like very, very poor and we lived on like $20, my friend and I. 
like really poor. Mm. Like we slept in the car. Uh, when I was a sophomore at ASU, I resorted to stealing money, which was my low point in my life from my roommate. Oh, jeez. I went days without eating. Oh, no. And I raided his coin jar uh, because I literally had no food. Oh, it's sad. That, that's sad and pathetic. And uh, he confronted me later. And I said, yeah, I stole 75 cents. I'm sorry. Would you get like a snack, like a vending machine? Something. Yeah, I don't remember. I was too prideful to ask my parents for money. And finally, I... Uh, I think I called my parents like four four days into my famine and, <laughs> and asked for food. And my dad stopped by and gave me 50 bucks or something. Oh, yeah. it probably was a lot, like seeing that $50, like, oh, my uh, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in Latvia once, and a guy came up to me and said, say I budgeted back then. I didn't have a lot of money, but we wanted to still go on trips and stuff. And I, I budgeted my money. I had cash. And the guy came up to us and said, he was, like, really nice. He's like, hey, can you break my – I have this change. Can you give me change for your bills? I, I have to get my car out. He's like, our age. Like, yeah, I'm really nice, you know. Uh, I have a job. Like, I'm not – you know, everything's cool. I just need to get my car. They, they like, close off the inner city. And then he needed to put change in. And we're like, oh, I don't know. Like, And he's like, come on, look, 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 you know, look at it. And it was, like, this little roll. It looked like they're coins. I'm like, okay, fine. And I gave him uh, – I don't even know how much it was now in our money – I want to say it was probably like maybe like 50 bucks. But like to me, that was a lot of money then. Obviously, it's like still, but like that was my budget for the trip. And we like were very, very careful with spending. And I had only that cash in, in the Latvian money. So I got it. I gave it to him. He was like really happy. He like runs away. And then later on, oh, then we walked to this like market. We're going to buy like some, some fruit. And I buy the strawberries because apparently like strawberries were like real popular in Latvia in my little tour book it said to like go buy the strawberries like let's do it get some strawberries I gave her the money and the lady was like no 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 Lithuania Latvia I'm like what Latvia and like so the Latvian money was like gold on the outside with a little silver coin little dot in the middle and then he gave us silver on the outside and gold in the middle it was from Latvia oh it was from Lithuania and it was worth like two dollars oh wow and so I was like no way and we went back to our hotel and there was all these or hostel and there's all these Scottish dudes with um, kilts, and they were like these like big guys, and they're on a stag weekend. And this guy, he had no shirt, a kilt on. He's like, "This son of a bitch outside, he he scammed me." And then he showed me the change, and he threw the change on the counter. I go, oh, "Me too!" And I was like raging with him, "Me too!" And I was like, "Okay, I didn't feel so bad because I was like pissed. I'm like that guy, he targeted me because I was a woman and I was young. You know, he targeted me." But I'm like, "Dude, if he's gonna mess with this big Scottish dude, that guy didn't give a give a shit at all." You know. He didn't care at all. Is there a big uh, uh, rate difference between Huge. Lithuania and Lithuania? Yeah, so I got back $2. I gave him at 50 Oh, okay. Yeah, you got screwed. I got screwed, and it was like, that was it. That was like my money, and I was like sad. And, but I was like angry and sad, but I, I wouldn't, wasn't screwed like our buddy, like, um, what's his name? Our buddy, Nippy Crisp, because I probably had a card, and they had more ATMs there and stuff. Mm. And we had stuff. But, I mean, I totally – if I didn't have that and that was my funds, like, I would have been screwed. I would have, I would have been it, you know. And so it would have been like him. But, yeah, it's a good story, and he'll always have to tell it. Um, yeah. But you should you should totally go to Gibraltar. Yeah. Especially, like, military history. It's really cool. It's really, really awesome. I've heard. And you could take a ferry over and go, go to Tangineers like he did. Tangineers. It's on my bucket list. Tangineers, yeah. Is it? Yeah awesome you could see it like you could just it's like really cl- you could see it like 
the strait is not that big on the horizon. I was like, oh, shit, there's Morocco, like, right there. Yeah, okay. It's, like, 50 miles or whatever. Yeah, I guess, yeah. On a clear day, you can, like, see pretty clear, like, see the port pretty clear, yeah. clearly. And then, yeah, or you fly in, too. So, it's awesome, and I'm happy to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. Are you going to come back? Yes. Um, I don't know how long we have here. How long do you your podcasts usually last? What's that? How long do your podcasts usually last? Um, you know, I would say that 40 minutes is probably a good right. time. Yeah, so 45 minutes. 28 already. That's so good. So this is one amongst many, I hope. One amongst many, I hope. Yes, visits. Jason, if that is really your yeah. name. I just met him outside, by the way. Like, he was just walking by, and I was like, no, I'm just kidding. No, Jason's awesome, and Jason's, like, very funny. He's one of the funniest guys I know. And single ladies. <laughs> and single ladies. Ladies. <laughs> You're going to be podcast famous. So ask me questions. Anything you got. got? I don't know. Do you love, how do you feel, do you love living overseas? You're, you're also, you're from, tell me the state you're from. You're from, what do you call home? Is it Arizona or? So it's dual kind of, uh, the whole Moro clan, all 300 of us dirt bag and dairy farmers were from upstate New York. And then uh, my oldest sister back in 1977 got, just got married and they ran out of gas in Arizona. No. Literally, uh, that's, they headed west and ran out of gas. No way. Established roots there. My parents started visiting them during the winter because New York winters are brutal. Uh, we all used to pile into an RV. I'm young, the youngest of nine kids. And so, so some of us that were still at the house used to we'd go uh, the Morrill family vacation in Arizona. And then my dad was a self-employed electrician type dude, and uh, he hated the cold. And uh, New York was brutal. Brutal, brutal, brutal yeah. Cold. Totally. Upstate, upstate. Yeah. And then, uh, long story short, he said, bump this and decided to move uh, to Arizona. When I was oh, my God. So I'm half Arizona and half New York. That's cool. But I love, uh, I do love Europe, yes. Um, I wouldn't say I'm forced here, but my children are here, so. What's like, what when you get like kind of say homesick per se, what's like the one thing that you kind of miss? Well, I don't miss the Walmarts, and I don't miss the Yeah, because a lot of people say shopping. that, like, yeah. shopping all night, Walmart, because it gets old, like, super yeah. fast when you get back. shit you got to buy, but... Uh, yeah. Am I allowed to swear? You can. Okay. We're keeping it, like, a little bit, yeah. All right, we'll keep it can real. go crazy, yeah. Keep it real, but, not, yeah, not crazy. Yeah, don't, don't say any F-words. Yeah, we're probably not, yeah. All right, like, free. Um, <laughs> um, like, frijoles. The weather in Arizona... They're yeah. just family. The weather, yeah. So the weather here gets you down, like, in the winters. and The winter sucks. We have, like, four days of summer here. Yeah. Last summer was awesome. No, it is. It is. It day. is. It gets hot. I mean, the summers are nice. This, but, yeah. But people do miss, they, they don't like the gray. If they're used to, like, a very sunny place, they don't miss, they don't like the gray here. True. Some people get little lamps, you know, even Germans. They get these, like, little UV lamps or lamps, sun lamps, yeah. to kind of make them happy and, like, keep a sun in their house. I go to the sun team booth to keep my beautiful body brown yes. <laughs> mocha <laughs> skin's the color of mocha oh man and then uh yeah so then arizona here it's hell of a flight though it's like crazy difference that's the biggest deterrent so, you know, so much the money as much as the travel travel is rough flying. is rough that's a pretty cool cool story but your sister i didn't know that 
Yeah. I mean, I just met you a few minutes ago like, when I asked you to come here on the street, <laughs> and I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that as we're walking here, like about your family. No, I didn't know that, but your sister, that's crazy. Yeah. That is, I like that story. That's cool. Well, you could do that back in the 70s, you know, back when you could probably. Oh, yeah, because she's much older than you. Yeah, yeah. Or 70s or 80s when you could, like, uh, just drive somewhere and, hey, can I get a job here and actually maintain a living working at a gas station. And so did she run out of gas and she ran out of money? Gas and money. So it wasn't like, oh, I ran out of gas. And all oh, this place is nice, but the, even though I got, like, lots of money, I could just fill my gas and keep going. She was like, I'm out of gas and I'm out of money. Yeah, her and her new husband, the high school sweethearts, uh, they got divorced and remarried. Uh, huh. Are they married story. now? They're married now. That's nice. I think she regrets that, but it's a whole other story. Oh, uh, hope she's not listening. Yeah. Um, I hope he's not listening. Sorry, Howard. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I guess they, they just hopped in a car and got in their 72 Chevelle and then uh, plopped down in Phoenix, Arizona. That's so cool. Like, like, let's drive until we run out of gas. You do that now. No, you, I don't think you can, no. No, technology is, like, too much. You, you like, you, it's too, you can do that, but there's so much at your fingertips to, like, let's find an awesome place. Let's Google what's around. Let's look at the restaurants. Do this, do that. Where am I? Google Maps, you know? I don't know. That's cool. Just drive to no drive to. We have no gas and no money left. No, no, no gas, and wherever no money. we end up, we'll finally get a job to buy gas or just stay. Yeah, they ended up getting a, a travel trailer, renting a uh, some kind of RV, plopped it out uh, in the middle of the desert. Oh and my gosh! There. Yeah. Where'd they go like, the first couple nights? Just up in the car? I guess. Yeah, something like that. And then he got a job doing something. Um, and they're just out of high school. Yeah, more or less just out of high school oh by a couple God. of years. I think they were 23, 24 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but still, that's pretty young. And then uh, the rest is history. That pretty much started the whole moral migration of my siblings. The migration. All of them. Half of my brothers or uh, sisters are in Arizona, and the other half are in uh, New York. That's awesome. In sunny Arizona. The ones that are still alive. Right. We, we don't want to go there. No. But we can. It doesn't bother me. No, it's cool. That's awesome. You're a big family, but you're the baby. I'm yeah. sure you love hearing that. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. their baby. And the favorite. <laughs> the favorite, of course. <laughs> That's cool. And how do you think that how did that affect you being like were you like super protected? You didn't have to like fight for attention. No, not at all. And also, your parents probably were like real cool with what you did, let you do anything because they've pretty much been broken down like by everybody else, kind of. Yeah, by the time I came around, they're pretty much exhausted. They tapped out. <laughs> You're like, can I? Yes, just go. You can. It's good. Yep. My dad identified us by numbers. This is number four. This no. Number yes. Um, Were you number eight, you said? Uh, number nine. Oh, nine. Okay. Um, so my mom had eight children in 11 years. Damn. From the age 18 to 31 or something okay. like that, 30. Then I was nine years later. So I was an oops. Oh, no, it's a surprise. A uh, surprise. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so by the time I was 10 or 11, I was an only child because the rest had graduated. Wow. That's interesting. So it's a strange combination of yeah. uh, I have a lot of siblings and uh, also a, uh, an only child at the same time. It's so. like you have a lot of parents, I think, maybe, yeah. kind of. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're, or they're cool. They act like your siblings. So six brothers... Uh, we had an in-ground pool, which was, we were the only ones in upstate New York rule. So you can imagine lots of older brothers in an in-ground pool. I didn't breathe a lot during the summer. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Due to the sheer being dunked under water <laughs> and coming up for air every 45 seconds. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> uh, 
Um, you didn't like enter life like afterwards, like go to college and like kick everyone's ass because now you could like take take it back, take it out on everybody else. Yeah, I was that you a giant got. Puss. Uh, <laughs> you went hardened. No, like. I, was, I was not. Uh, I was not street. <laughs> you know, street cred. Yeah, it was not like get hard in that movie there. <laughs> yeah, you weren't hardened. All right, so I want to say thank you for joining the podcast. You're going to come back. I'm going to make you because this was There's fun. A whole host this was of fun. We can talk about WikiLeaks. I know my uh, varied and tragic romances. <laughs> That's like a whole. A no, no, no. Era. Seriously, like you know what I'm talking about. That's like a whole other story, and it's great. It's like an odyssey travel. Well, I'm 48 and have yet to have a successful relationship. So, ladies, <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. So I like this that. This podcast will be the. Uh, I know the fame. Yep. We'll then get, we like get the ball rolled. That's awesome. All right. Thanks for joining Jersey Broad abroad. Well, thanks for the story. It was a good one. I got stories like that too, though not quite as. We got to think of some. Yeah. I, this is the new. I want to start bringing on more like funny travel stories, like because you just can't. You gotta, you gotta capture these stories, because you know, it's part of like life and growing up, like these crazy stories and getting out and traveling and learning and saying "Mi boca necesita un bocadillo," which is awesome. All right, until next time. Thanks, Jason. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that was pretty entertaining. A Jersey Broad Abroad.